0: Well, hello, family. God bless you. Uh, Christ has come, and he invites everyone to enter his kingdom, no matter who you are. He says, come in, come in, come in quickly. Uh, we're uh, we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's just three chapters in the Bible, but it contains multitudes. Have you figured that out yet? It's amazing. Uh, Grab your Bibles, open them up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 33. Uh, Jesus is teaching about uh, making vows, making promises, if you will. Uh, And so we're going to also read uh, a little bit of chapter 23, because that's going to give some additional context to better understand what Jesus is saying uh, here on the mountain.
1: Okay, uh, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Matthew five thirty three to 37. Again, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Matthew twenty-three sixteen to 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. That is the end of today's reading of the word of god
0: thanks be to god let's pray and so father god hearing you speak uh we we admit we confess uh our sin uh we um we give our word to people we make promises and we make distinctions between the really big promises that we have to keep and these little promises, and, and we don't really need to keep those. Uh, you don't make those distinctions. So forgive us. Forgive us for breaking our word to one another. Uh, forgive us for being promise makers, uh, but not promise keepers. Lord, you keep all your promises. You are faithful to us. Uh, even when we break our word to you, uh, you are resolved to keep your word to us. We are so thankful for who you are. We pray that you would open up our hearts, give us ears to hear what Christ has to say, hearts that would understand and receive and bodies that will uh, do repentance so that we might live a flourishing life. And it's in the name, sacred name of Jesus we ask it all. Amen. Amen. Uh, I I remember the first time that I said it. Uh, I was just a little guy, somewhere in the neighborhood of about six years old, and uh, we were in the backyard playing uh, in the the fort with the other kids near the big uh, hickory tree. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but some dispute broke out, uh, probably like who was the best uh, Marvel comic superhero or something really important, I'm not sure what it was, but this dispute rose up and there was an argument, and I wanted to persuade my friends to believe me. They weren't believing me, and I wanted to persuade them to uh, believe me. And so in this, like, rush of emotion that, you know, some six-year-old boys get from time to time, I blurted out, look, I've, I, I'm telling you the truth, guys. I swear it. And I think in my little mind, I believe that those words would just settle the argument and, and like, everyone, would, like, would rush to my side and go, oh, yes, of course, we believe you. You're right and I was waiting for that response and instead everybody's eyebrows shot up and their eyes widened and I heard "Mm." (laughs) mmm and uh, I got this feeling that maybe I'd done something I might not ought to have done maybe I crossed a line that I didn't even know existed and it got real quiet and then finally someone said you're not supposed to swear you'll go to hell And of course, that set off this very interject debate, not about hell, (laughs) but about like what swearing means and like what's the word formula to decide if someone actually swore or not. Anyone can relate to this? Anyone had a childhood memory like this? You guys know what I'm talking about. Now listen, here's my question. What was I doing? What was I actually doing in that moment by the fort next to the big hickory tree? When this dispute rose up, what was I actually doing when I said the words, look, what I'm saying is true. My testimony, you should believe my testimony, I swear it. I was trying to add weight to my words. I was trying to persuade other people to believe me. Why? So I could get what I wanted from them. Well, what did I want? I I wanted them to believe me. That's what I wanted from them. I wanted their faith, their trust in my testimony. Because this is exactly what Jesus is addressing in our text today. We never grow out of this, do we? We just dress it up a little nicer when we're grownups, right? Right? See, back in in his day, making vows had become, it had become this way to persuade someone to trust you, and at the same time, it was a way to evade your promise through a technicality. It was doing both those things at the same time. So now remember, Jesus is not giving universal morals. He's not just like some like religious sage who's like, you know, had enlightenment and he's sitting on a mountain giving you these general truths. Jesus is speaking into a particular way of being in the world. And that's why we that's why Don read chapter 23 a little bit. It puts a little bit more of those details and uh, meat on the bones. Jesus is talking about a particular way of making promises, of making vows, not all vow making. I mean, after all, God swears. Right? God makes vows, as does the holy apostles, right? So here's the big idea today. Jesus teaches, he's teaching us that cultivating faithfulness is a better way to live than crafting vows. Did you catch that? Jesus is teaching you and I that cultivating faithfulness is a better way to live than crafting vows, And and so what we're going to see here is that Jesus is going to show us the foolishness of living by elaborately crafted vows, and then he's going to show us the wisdom and, frankly, the blessing of cultivating faithfulness in our lives. Okay, so we're going to look at each of those in turn. And first, there's a couple of, couple of uh, reasons he gives us of why this is foolishness to spend all of our time crafting these elaborate vows. First of all, Jesus says that there's no such thing as a non-binding vow. It's an oxymoron. There's no, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a non-binding vow. And so meet me in the text here, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, and I say to you, do not take an oath at all by heaven, and here's this reason, for, for means reason, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, in the Old Testament, it is clearly communicated that any vow or oath that invokes the name of God is binding on that person. They're bound. They must fulfill that. And the Old Testament is very clear. The law is clear about that. And remember what we said. Jesus says, I'm not come to overthrow the Torah. I'm not come to cancel the law. I've come to fulfill it. So he's affirming this, right? God, the highest authority to which none higher could be appealed, has now been brought in to the conversation. God has now been brought in to bear witness to a promise that's being made, or he's been brought in to bear witness to the truthfulness of a testimony that someone is giving. All right? We still do this today in the court of law. But this was like in like everywhere. This wasn't in business transactions. This was in the house. Okay? This was the law. When you make a vow in the name of God, in the name of the Lord, when you take his name, right? There is no loophole. There is no excuse that you can use to get out of that. Why? Because you've brought the highest authority to bear witness to that. You just went to the Supreme Court. Okay? You will be, the law said that you will be held accountable to uphold the promise that you made, even if you realize even moments later that you made a hasty promise. Even if you realize I made a rash promise, you're still on the hook. And everybody understood that, right? But what had happened by the time that Jesus walks into history is that people are making carefully crafted vows and oaths for the purpose of getting out of them. For the purpose of not fulfilling, to protect their interests. Why do you make a promise? To protect the interests of someone else, right? And they have completely twisted this. I'm so glad we don't do this today. We've evolved and we've become way much more civilized and moral, right? Listen, New Testament historian Craig Keener notes this and he says, quote, Jesus addresses a popular abuse of oaths in his day. To protect the sanctity of the divine name against inadvertent oath-breaking, common Jewish practice introduce kinuum surrogate objects by which to swear, like substitutes, right? Some people apparently thought it was harmless to deceive if they swore oaths by something like their right hand. Now get this, he says, Jewish teachers had to arbitrate which oaths were actually binding as allusions to God's I just want to stop there for a second. Just on a practical society level, think about how much this gums up the court system. This just grinds society to a halt, and they are propping that up. Think about how awful this is for flourishing in a society, right? I'll go back to Keener. He says, the further removed, this is how they made the distinction, the further removed the oath was from the actual name of God, the less danger they faced for violating it. Close quote. So, here's what's going on. The law says, look, if I use the name of God, whether that's Yahweh or Elohim or El Shaddai, right? If I use the name of God, then I am bound by my work, and it's indissolvable, right? I'm on the hook no matter what happens, right? So I know what I'll do. I'll substitute the literal name for God. I'll I'll use a substitute for the literal name of God that still delivers that persuasive punch that I want, and best part of all is I don't have to really keep my word because technically, 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 I didn't use the name of God. Do you you see, can you scale this out? Like we think it does how do you and I operate? It's just me. I'm just an individual. It's just a white lie. This isn't going to affect anyone. I'm just one person, and it's just one time, right? But can you if everybody, if every individual starts thinking that way, can you scale that out by, like, multiplication, right? Yes? Like, do you see the practical impact that this would have on a, a small community or even a larger society? If everybody thinks in individual terms, it's just me doing this one time. I'm just fudging my salary on my resume by 10%. My vacation days by three days. Because I know they that they to give me more when I get a new job. What if a thousand people do that? This way of living completely muddied the waters as to whether a person was being truthful or not. Just let that land on you. In fact, actually think about that through the week. Think all the way to the bottom on that. Imagine that. Imagine living in a a society where you never really know who can be trusted based on their word. You want to believe them. You hope you can believe them. But at bottom, you can't really be sure that you can believe them based on their word just imagine can you get pictures in your mind of this imagine trying to get married and you're just really not sure imagine trying to do business with other people you know trade in the marketplace Um, work with your neighbor on a project Hire employees. Maybe we don't have to imagine. Maybe we don't have to imagine this. Uh, Jerry Usim, a journalist for The Atlantic, wrote a piece just last November and was titled The End of Trust. It was a fascinating read for me. Um, He identifies this unseen culprit in the flagging American economy that he calls, quote, a trust recession. He cites study after study of neighbors and employers losing confidence in each other. Usim says, and I'm going to quote, it's a long quote, but it's worth it. Hang with me here on this, okay? Here's what he's found. This is what he says, quote, Trust is to capitalism what alcohol is to wedding receptions, a social lubricant. People who don't trust other people think twice before investing in, collaborating with, or hiring someone who isn't a family member. Economists Paul Zak and Stephen Neck found that a 15%... Did you see how small that number is? Just a mere 15% bump in a nation's belief that most people can be trusted that it adds a full percentage point to economic growth that year. Says so that means that if for the past 20 years Americans had trusted one another like Ukrainians did, our annual GDP per capita would be $11,000 lower but if we trusted one another like New Zealanders did, it would be $16,000 higher, close quote. There's actually, like, we can feel this. You can put a dollar amount to what Jesus is talking about. Does that blow your mind? This matters for flourishing life, right? Right? Listen, Jesus does not comment on what makes a flourishing economy. He didn't speak into that. But he does speak into what makes a flourishing person and what makes a flourishing society. Yes, he does. People who want to keep their promises instead of gaslighting their neighbors. And it seems that economists and social scientists and heck, even journalists who are just observers, they're just observers. They seem to be confirming what Jesus has been teaching for 2,000 years. Listen, the point that Jesus is making, family, is that there is no such thing as a non-binding vow. There's no such thing as a non-binding promise. Why? Jesus tells us why. He gave us three reasons because there's nothing that you and I can swear by that does not invoke the name and the character of God. That's why. That's why. He says, look, if you swear by the heavens, oh, I love you, you know, let the moon and the stars, you know, bear witness. I love you to the moon and back. What are you saying? You're bringing in the moon to bear witness to how great your love is. Huh? God says, that's where the Lord lives. God says, that's where the Lord rules, actually. And that's where he decrees all of his decrees that are going to happen. Heavens belong to him, not you. What are you you doing? Jesus says, look, if you swear by the earth, he says, that's where the Lord brings his sovereign will to manifestation. Earth belongs to him. So that's off the table. Uh, he says, if you swear by the capital city, the temple, that's where the temple is in Jerusalem, right? And what's the temple? That's where God dwells on earth with humans. You swear by the capital? That's where he's twos- chosen to dwell. That's his place. That's his abode, not yours. It's not yours. There is nothing in this Universe. There is nothing in this created world that we can swear by that does not somehow invoke the name, character, or nature of God. Everything in this world binds us to God. You hearing that? So what? So stop wasting your time and other people's time. Crafting these dense, tedious formulas and debating semantics of words when you make a promise to your neighbor, your employer, your employee, your children, your parents. So what? So stop baking in loopholes. Stop gaslighting people who trusted you. They trusted your bare word, right? Oh, 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 I never said that. I never said that. I'm sorry you heard that, but I never, that's gaslighting. I'm sorry that you understood me that way. You crazy, crazy person. That's what we're doing, right? To put it another way, The Lord's telling us stop using the power of words to get what you want and then deny the power of your words when it's time to be held accountable for them. Don't say they had power on the front end, but they don't really have any weight and power on the back end. That's what he's saying. If you start with yes, then end with yes. Right? Does this make sense? That's not the way. That is not the way, loved ones. It's not the way of flourishing. And it does scale out. It does matter if one person does it. Yes, it does. Because it spreads. There's another foolishness here that Jesus points out. He says, here's another reason. There's no thing, there are some things beyond our control. That's why you shouldn't make these elaborate promises and bake in loopholes and all that. There are things beyond our control. Uh, meet me here in verse 36, chapter 5, verse 36. And do not take an oath by your head. Here's why. For, that means here's the reason why I'm telling you that. For you cannot make one hair white or black. He doesn't say that your hair won't change colors. What he's saying is you cannot make your hair, not even one, turn white or black. Okay? Now, sometimes... Uh, we will swear by our uh, own life. We're going to swear by our, our own head, right? We put ourselves in a bind as a motivation for keeping our vow, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put pain in my life if I don't keep my word, and that's how we make a promise to somebody else, usually when we don't have some kind of collateral, right? Right? And the logic goes something like this. Obviously, obviously, you and I know that I don't want harm to come to me. Obviously, we know that. I don't want harm to come to me. So you know that I'll keep my word. See? It's a guarantee. I guarantee it. Or else, take my house. You know, take my life. Take my right hand. Right? And, and I don't want that to happen. So once again, Jesus knows us. He knows me and you, Right? Jesus calls in, listen what he does. He doesn't say don't do it. He's so brilliant. He calls it into question. He doubts it. He calls into question how reliable a guarantee of that nature it, it really is, even though it sounds very solemn at first. Like, I mean, how much higher could I go than like calling down a hurt on myself, right? Well, he's calling into question the, the validity of that and the veracity of that. He's so brilliant. See, the truth is, Jesus says, there are things beyond our control. And the proof of this fact is that we can't change the color of even one single hair on our head. That's just how little control we have, even of our own bodies that we live in. See, when Jesus uses the words white or black, he seems to be alluding to a body that ages. And he's basically questioning the entire oath formula. Don't use it and don't be duped into it. He's saying, look, what good is even, I mean, that sounds really poetic and that sounds really like solemn, but like what good is a guarantee on your own head? What really, what good is that? See, the underlying implication of this teaching is that only God knows your ability, your function, and your future state of your body when it comes time for your oath to be fulfilled. Only God knows What's going to happen to your brain and your mind and your body and all of that when it comes time in the future to fulfill it? You don't. I just don't. I can hypothesize at best, but I don't know that for certain. And I'm making a certainty. I'm making a guarantee. And so he says, look, if you swear by your own head, listen, listen. You're swearing falsely. You're swearing falsely. You are making a promise that you already know deep down you cannot guarantee to your neighbor because the truth is there are things beyond your control. And Scripture says when we do this, when we treat our neighbor this way, whether that our neighbor is our child or whether our neighbor is like our boss or literal next-door neighbor, Scripture says when we treat our neighbor this way, we are acting both in deceit and in arrogant pride. Let's go to the Apostle James. This is Jesus' little brother. See if he sounds like his older brother. Verse 13 through 16. Come now, those of you who say, well, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town, we're going to spend a year there, and we're going to trade, and we are going to make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. Or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And such boasting is evil. James says, call it by its right name. Call sin by its name. Listen. Guys, family, we we, we cannot control the weather. We cannot control our health, the price of gasoline, whether we will have to attend a funeral of a loved one in one week, or if a war erupts and we have to cancel our trip to Europe. And to posture otherwise with our words to our neighbor is arrogance. Arrogance. It's arrogant so what so if crafting these empty vows or swearing falsely if crafting these empty vows makes more life miserable for society on the one hand and if it's actually a form of evil and arrogance on the other hand we should probably just stop making promises to get what we want from people altogether then right But here's a problem, and it's a real problem. If we can't use promises as a mechanism to get what we want from our neighbor, well, how can we ever have happiness? How can we ever get what we want or need? In other words, how can we experience the flourishing life if we can't use promise-making as a mechanism to get what we want from people? Here's how. According to Jesus. Cultivating faithfulness, cultivating faithfulness simplifies our commitments to a yes or a no. Cultivating faithfulness simplifies our commitments to a yes or a no. Meet me in verse 37. Jesus says, let what you say be simply. Let what you say be simple. Okay? Yes or no, Anything more than this comes from evil. You're trying to be God and manipulate the situation. Right? That's what he means by evil. Now, look, I I say this a lot, and I want to continue to reiterate something that is vitally important for us to understand about Jesus and and the, 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 the kingdom, the eternal life. Entering eternal life, or as Matthew's terminology calls it, entering the kingdom flourishing it's not merely about behaviors that we act out it is about behaviors that we act out because of the person we become see we read Jesus and about you know making these vows and stuff and we think that's that's simply like a rule we're supposed to obey and Jesus says no 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 no. it is but it's a person you're supposed to be becoming it's a person you're supposed to become it's a way of being in the world, right? Eternal life, the kingdom of God, it's about becoming a wholehearted person when we were once living as a split person. Our inside wasn't lining up with our outside. Our behaviors weren't lining up with our, what we, our wanter. Right? We, 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 we it's about becoming single-minded when we were once living double-minded, as James says. So, Jesus gives us some practical application to this important question of how can we experience this flourishing life without using empty promises to manipulate our neighbor? How can we possibly find that happy life? Jesus has an answer. Become a person who has integrity of speech. That's how. Because people want to do, like, work with you. Basically, here's what he says in a phrase integrity is better than an oath. Personal integrity is better than an oath. Notice Jesus uses the word say in this verse 37 in contrast to the word swear. Did you notice that? What you used earlier? You can swear, you swear, you swear. I say, just say. You don't have to import authority, just say he's saying let what you say to others be simple instead of becoming this a Pharisee a lawyer who is an expert at parsing words to get out of promises become the kind of person who doesn't need to make promises you don't need to use the formula I promise I give you my word that's so redundant. You just use words, and then you said, I give you my word. That's like saying, well, I declare. No, well, by doing that, you're declaring. <laughs> okay, you have to say, I declare. That's what you're doing. Jesus said, look, if you speak, you're giving them your word. So just simplify it. Don't import extra authority to manipulate their heart to believe you. Does this make sense? Let it be simple. Become the kind of person who doesn't need to make promises because you've got that reputation. Become the kind of person who doesn't, this is this should just like take so much weight off of our mind and our worry. Listen, here's what he's saying. Become the kind of person who doesn't need to remember every single word and the semantic range of the words and the context of those words when you spoke it and who you spoke that to. Does that just bring anxiety, like relief to you? Okay, what did I say? Was that on Thursday? And who was that? John? Okay, and like oh, the, Jesus wants life. He wants life for your mind and peace for your soul. Jesus says, look, make your words be few and simple, and you'll find happiness. You'll find peace. You'll find rest. Praise you, Jesus. He says the only words that a whole-hearted person needs to speak. And therefore, has to remember speaking is yes or nah. Become the man or woman who lives as if those simple words are as binding as any other word you could utter out of your mouth. Become that guy, become that gal. What I find interesting, and it's just kind of like a little freebie bonus here, is like in the original Greek, Jesus, when he says this, it literally reads, let what you say be yes, yes, no, no. Like it's that choppy. Let what you say be yes, yes, no, no. If you start yes, in yes. yeah, yes. If you start no, in no. That's what he's, li- like he's literally acting that out with his words practically. So we'll see the, the effect. Jesus is saying, don't say yes when what you really mean is I'm going to try to find a no. Don't don't do it. And don't say no when what you really mean is yes. Jesus is inviting you into something. Jesus is inviting me into a way of being where he says, like, just come cultivate. If you're going to cultivate, don't cultivate a stack of paperwork. Cultivate integrity. Burn your energy. You're going to burn it. Burn it here, not there. You're a fool. This way is wise. Cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate integrity. Cultivate trustworthiness. Maybe you just need to stop talking so much. I had a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Mississippi. And for one month, we did this spiritual discipline. I think it was probably at Lent. And it was called practicing saying yes and no. And we would check in every week. What would you say yes to? What would you say no to? And it was called practicing saying yes and no. And it was unbelievable. Because every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else. It really changed how, how we saw our words and how powerful they were. Jesus is telling us, "Look, be that kind of person to commit, that 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 uh, has integrity. I say what I mean, and then I do what I say. If I say yes, then I want you to know I actually mean yes. And if I tell you no, what I actually mean is no. And that's that. All that I need to bind myself." to my word see faithfulness means that if I say I will get the report to you by Friday what I mean is I will get the report to you by Friday Not, I'll get the report to you by Friday unless something more important popped up on my schedule in my way of reckoning this week. And now you're in a bind on Friday night. So here's the good part. I want you to imagine this stuff. Imagine, try to get a picture, try to get a sight of this, of a really small community of people. I'm not talking about everyone, just whatever your mind is, a small community of people. I don't know, let's just make it really small, like, I don't know, 15% of the population of a town. I'm just picking that number. 15% 15% of the town's population and these people spent their time and they spent their energy and they burn their calories on keeping their word instead of parsing each other's words while they're having conversations with one another. And what does she mean by that? And when she said this, what does she really mean by that? They don't burn their energy on that. They burn their energy on actually keeping their word. 15% of the town's population. Could you imagine that? That's not a lot of people, by the way. How about this? Could you imagine? We'll make this a little easier and more accessible. Maybe you could imagine a very small community of people. Maybe a family of four. Just a family of four where those people cultivated a reputation for saying what they meant to one another and then simply doing what they said. Now could you just visualize the amount of peace that you would be creating in other people? What a gift of peace you're actually giving and creating and cultivating in other people when you live that way. Could you imagine the kind of things that that little community of promise keepers could collaborate together on? That they could create in a society because of the trust that they built? that's pretty cool to think about it does not have to be everybody in the room guys 15% but I know what we're thinking here what motivates us to be that way in the world when we live in a world of promise breakers now more than ever now more than ever it's hard to trust people amen and the question is well I'm just gonna go ahead and be that way they broke their word I'm breaking mine so how, what motivates us to live such a countercultural way? The church should have been doing this the last two years, man. Like a city on a hill shining light. The gospel of Jesus is the power that we need. That's what's bringing salvation, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation, both right now and in eternity. Listen to the words of the great Pharisee and lawyer, by the way, the Apostle Paul. He ought to know about Parson words, right? So he's got my, he's got my attention. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, as sure, Because what's happening is the Corinthians are saying, look, you didn't keep your word. You said you were going to come and you didn't come. And that's why we got this letter in your in your absence as your substitute. So he's defending himself. As sure, Verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes, no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy, and I was not yes, no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God, Find their yes in Jesus. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul says this. God's promises to us were were not empty words, even though it took a long time for him to fulfill them. They were not empty words. God's word became a living person. The word became a person his word became a person. Like, that's how real and alive his word is. That's how reliable it is. That's how trustworthy God's word is and authentic his promise is, right? And not only that, but Jesus is, Paul says, is the fulfillment of all the words, of all the many promises, of all the oaths that God has ever spoken through all the centuries. To forgive our sin, to never leave us nor forsake us, to free us from the bondage of uh, of sin and promise breaking, to defeat sickness, to 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 kill death, and to provide us a renewed earth for us to live in forever with Him. Like like guys, like God has literally promised us the world. Okay, this is a big enchilada of a promise, right? And Paul says, in just these little verses, he says, look, when Jesus was crucified on a cross, it looked like God was saying yes and no. It looked like he started yes and he ended no. That's what it looked like to everybody. It looked like God had made an elaborate, huge vow, (laughs) oath, promise, right? That he never intended to keep to you. In me that's what it looked like because it persuaded you didn't it it attracted you didn't it to trust him it looked like he was just stringing you along just stringing me along in order to get our trust and then God found a loophole to escape because when you die you're free from the law right what Romans 7 God got, got off the hook. That's what it looked like. But Paul says, but as it happens, as it happens, right, Jesus physically rose from the dead. His death and his resurrection together were really, get this, how God was keeping his promise to the, uh, those old, old promises. It was actually the way he was keeping and securing and fulfilling the promise. God said yes and Jesus got up on resurrection Sunday from the dead and he was embodiment another yes. God said yes, Jesus said yes and we say amen. May be so. Amen. Right? Christ risen is the indisputable proof that God keeps his word that God is trustworthy even when it hurts him even when it's inconvenient for him even when he's going to cause him pain even when it causes him tears even when his friend's going to betray him even when it's dark and rainy and stormy and he's all alone God is going to inconvenience himself and he is going to keep his promise to you of all people me of all people who we say we don't keep our promise well God can say well how What if he treated us that way? And that's how we treat each other? But that's not how God treated you. And that's the good news. Can the church say amen? Listen, guys, for God to take that much time, we're talking like thousands of years, For him to take that much time and to burn that much energy and to exert that much effort not to wiggle out from his massive promise to us, but rather in order to keep his gargantuan, huge vow and promise to us, that should impact us at a heart level. That ought to change you. That ought to change my way of thinking. It ought to. It ought to just soften our heart. It ought to just melt our heart into goo. I love him. Don't you love him? Isn't he good? Isn't he great? Being the recipients of that level of promise keeping should make us want to be promise keepers to our neighbor. No matter the cost. Yeah, I'll take a loss. I'm gonna keep my word. I'm gonna take a loss. Yep. God, God took a loss that I'll never comprehend. That's the gospel, and the gospel is the power to live the Jesus way in this real world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Uh, we, we, we make boasts with our mouths. We make promises with our mouths, and, and, and many times we just don't even intend really intend to keep them, but God... You make some of the most outlandish promises and you intended from the beginning, before the beginning of time to keep them and you even knew how you were going to do it. And so God, I just pray that the gospel would convict us of our false promises that we've made to actual real people made in your image, that we would repent of that and that we would turn to Jesus, not only for, for healing, but for regeneration, for life that we would know how to receive your peace and actually create peace in other people that are really anxious right now. We'd be people of integrity that actually calm people. In Jesus' name we pray you do this, amen.